0: When I was about seven, I was busily writing the further adventures of Winnie the Pooh stories, which my younger sister illustrated with crayon drawings. We'd sell our books on the sidewalk to whomever passed by us. Most children had a lemonade stand, I had a small publishing enterprise. Often grown-ups would stop to look at the books and they would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to write stories and I want to tell stories. They would say, that's nice. When I was 12 they began saying to me, that's a nice dream, But it's too hard making a living writing stories then off they'd go with a barrage of facts, making writing stories sound like an utterly ridiculous goal. Invariably, they finished up by saying, it's nice to have big dreams, but you need to face the facts of life. You need to get a real job with a real income like everybody else. This is, after all, the 20th century. The way they said it made it sound as if the mere fact of living in that century settled the issue for all time. It was as though they agreed with Clifton Fadiman's statement, all of life is an earnest search for the right manila folder in which we get filed away. As if they lived in the grip of fatalism that believes everything is as it has always been and forever will be. As though life proceeds like clockwork. As if something need to have happened only a couple of times in the past three years for our minds to declare it inevitable and irrevocable. As if a leaf is green because it could be nothing else. The poor are poor because they are poor. Everything is as it is due to routine, predictability, and given enough time and government research grants, everything shall be explained and demystified. The world is as it is. It can't be changed, they seem to be saying. Yet, when I hear God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and a child shall lead them I wonder why will it be that a child shall lead humanity into the incredible beauty of God's vision for our lives that is poetically described by Isaiah. After all, children in the ancient Near East and even today are among the most vulnerable and least powerful persons in a community. On their own, Children do not create legislation, pass laws, or even have their voices taken seriously by those who do make laws. Greta Thun is a great example. Children depend upon others to keep them safe and provide for them. I mean, just look at the news reports and magazine articles about child labor in India, Pakistan and throughout Southeast Asia, not to mention the plight of children in refugee camps in Turkey or Lebanon, or the young girls sold as brides to men old enough to be their grandfathers. Also, children depend upon adult leaders to mentor them into lives of creativity and vitality. So, why does God tell us through the prophet Isaiah that in God's peaceable kingdom a child will be the leader? What is it about a child that will make them the best choice for leadership? Well, take a look at the painting of the peaceable kingdom. What is it that you adults see? Do you see all the animals just hanging out together, predators and prey standing next to each other? Do you see their faces and do you detect the smiles on their faces as if the painter Edward Hicks said? Now, everyone say cheese? Do you wonder why it is that they are smiling? Is it because the prey is no longer fearful? Or maybe they are calm because they are in a forest with such an abundance of water and plants to eat, that hunger isn't an issue for any of the animals, so the predators have decided it's good to be a vegan. Do you see the children in the painting? Why they are the age the painter has depicted? And, did you notice that one is a male and one is a female? Do you see the angel? Can you see far into the background and see William Penn, the Quaker, affirming a peace treaty with Delaware peoples? Yet, what does this have to do with the Peaceable Kingdom and Isaiah 11? Well, let's think about it through the eyes of a child. What does a child see in this painting? Does the child see the Peaceable Kingdom as perhaps really the Garden of Eden? I wonder if children would see the picture divided between the animal's Peaceable Kingdom and the human's Peaceable Kingdom. I wonder if children might see more than we see. Several years ago, Tina and I and two of our children went to see the movie August Rush. It is a marvelous movie not only for the music that runs like a thread throughout the story connecting each of the people together and drawing them together, but also for the story of a young not-quite-12-year-old boy who hears music and all the sounds of the world around him whether he is standing in the middle of a cornfield as the wind blows the stalks in amazing swirling and flowing patterns or he is standing in the middle of New York City listening to music being created by the interplay of car engines, horns, shoes scrapping across pavement, water bubbling in a fountain, and people's voices echoing in the air of the city. Each of these is its own symphony playing notes of music that is his life, which is creating the music of his long-lost mother and father's lives, so mother, father and son might be reunited and made whole. While no one believes him or understands him, the boy refuses to give up on this vision and he finds imaginative ways to make the music of his life spread far out into New York City knowing that his mother and father will hear it and will be drawn to him and to each other. Perhaps, that is the reason God chooses a child to lead humanity to the peaceable kingdom. Maybe, it is because children see life as amazing. A child makes no rigid distinction between the tales of wizards and fairies and the tales of historians as G.K. Chesterton notes, there was a reason why Cinderella was younger than her ugly sisters. A child, he writes, of seven is excited by being told that Tommy opened the door and saw a dragon. I think this is the reason children picked up Harry Potter books and couldn't put them down. I think they became enmeshed and awed to wonder by a world that is beyond our predictable, everyday routine. Where there are brooms to ride in games played high above our heads, invisibility cloaks and maps that show people moving about a castle school where the pictures talk to you. At least, I know this is why I couldn't put them down. The Harry Potter books and books about knights of the round tables, princes and princesses, and others like them invite us to open our minds and imagine there is more to life than what we see. In imaginative literature, music, plays, and art, we are invited to look beyond the surface of life and see that a leaf is green for a reason that has nothing to do with rational science. In many ways, Isaiah is, also, reminding us to look beyond the surface of this life to see that a leaf is green because God meant it to be. Every leaf that is green or red or yellow and not beige is so because of God's choice to color it that specific color. The world is something, which has been meant, designed, brought into being by God's choice. And, it is here for our wonder, our surprise, and our enjoyment. Even the repetition of cycles and routines is meant for us to wonder about them to see them as dull, pointless, or seasons to dread. Maybe, we are supposed to be looking at the grass as a signal to us. Maybe the stars are trying to get us to understand some message they have for us. Maybe the rising of the sun each day is making a point we will discover only if we pay close attention to it. Perhaps, the point it is making is that God has chosen the order of the world and the repetition within creation as a way to speak to us about its vitality and health. Like the child who laughs at a joke and says, Daddy tell it again and again and again, laughing each time as though it was the first time. Or, like the child who falls in love with swinging on a swing and says, Mommy, do it again. Do it again. I wonder if God says to the irises each spring and apples and oranges in summer and fall do it again. Do it again. So, we might wonder at the continual renewal of life and be surprised at the first blooms of flowers popping up from the wintry ground, reminding us how God creates life anew each day. Maybe, the shoot that springs forth from the tree stump is God's way of reminding us that God is the God of green life. That God is the one who brings forth greenness when we have felt as if we were dry as summer dust, as Hildegard of Bingen wrote in the 12th century about the Veriditas or the healing, greening power of God. God, through Christ, is bringing the lush greenness of God's kingdom to a shriveled and wilted humanity. Even, Paul's word to the Roman Church in chapter 15 13 of his epistle might be translated as Eugene Peterson has Oh! May the God of green hope fill you up with joy, fill you with peace, so that your believing lives, filled with the life giving energy of the Holy Spirit, will brim over with hope. Maybe we need a child to lead us in becoming God's children, so we might see the new heaven and the new earth coming into being as God intends it to come into being with a shoot coming out from the stump of Jesse and a wolf living with a lamb, the calf and the lion and the faddling together, and a child leading us to hear God's music of life creating the symphony which draws all people and creation together into God's peaceable kingdom. I pray this may be your vision and your hope for this Advent and Christmas, as surely as it is mine.